Well, well, welcome to Between Sundays. I'm Marin, and I'm coming out of the dark. Tim is here to tell us that just as it was with Lazarus, Jesus offers us not just life in the next world, but life that is full and wondrous and joyous today. But before we unwrap ourselves from our grave clothes, now that he's finished drilling holes and collecting dog froth, please welcome our favorite pastor <laughs> in a sequin shirt, Disco Tim. Yeah. Good hey. day. Hey, how's it going? That there, was dude. just for those at 11 o'clock. Because, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's like, that really was. You had the room rolling at the top of the 11 o'clock service when you started to speak. Please tell us what happened with your shirt. Well, I just had a shirt on that was it's actually a very beautiful shirt. It's beautiful. It's it is. Sight. It's well, I mean. Well tailored. It is. It, <laughs> I, we, I could go into detail, but <laughs> yeah, but it's got really small checks on it. And I had been told years ago not to wear stripes. Yes. And not to wear big checks. But nobody ever told me that it's like tiny little checks yes. that make it appear from a distance to be a single color. Or so it would seem to me, but no, it was such that apparently when with the cameras, these, I got an email between the app right after the first service and from, <laughs> from, Ryan, from Ryan, Ryan. And he said, um, the shirt's beautiful. <laughs> and, um, but here's the problem. It's making it look like it's, you're wearing a sequin shirt because of the camera, the way the camera can't focus on it. <laughs> And then he said in the email, he said, now I'm not saying you couldn't rock a sequin shirt <laughs> or I'm sure you could rock one. Well, that just tickled me. <laughs> and so I went and found him up in the booth and talked to him. And there were other tech people there, other production people there. And I just, you know, I asked him, do they want me to keep my jacket? Yeah. Buttoned. buttoned. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'll do that. Uh, just so that it, cause he said it was uh, distracting. Well, I spent like the whole worship time asking the, I'd said, I said to my, uh, I guess the preacher's assistant, I said, okay, that guy's singing. He has on a check shirt. Is, does he look like he's wearing sequins? Well. And, 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 and so we were, we were having this non worshipful discussion about shirts during all the music. I, that was the first time that that particular yes. speaker assistant had worked with me. And he probably thinks I'm out of my mind because- <laughs> The only thing I talked to him about was stuff that he probably never would have. He expected. probably thinks you're awesome. That well, speaker assistant is good friends with my husband. He's oh, a great. good guy. Yeah, he was. He was a good guy. I think he was a little nervous because he'd not been with with me before. Uh -huh. But he's kind of new to to the role of speaker assistant. It's something that Grace people can volunteer to do, and he's kind of new to that volunteer position. Yeah. Well, it was great. Yeah. Being with him, but so it's called the Moray effect. And what it does, the cameras, the cameras are aged and aging right. and they can't keep up with focusing on like tiny, small patterns. So someone explained it really well to me today. If you take like two fine tooth combs and you kind of overlay them so that they create a check pattern, you'll see swirls almost like wood grain. Oh, okay. And that's what happens to your shirt. But it also depends on the, the screen resolution. I got, we, we, we had a whole meeting about your shirt, Tim, oh, about okay. an hour ago well, because okay. the, it, it might look fine on your cell phone and it might look fine on your computer screen, but it doesn't look, it, it looks more swirly on the enormous screen behind your head. Okay. Like 
the bigger the screen, probably the worse. Worse. Yeah. Okay. But it starts to look like a wavy gravy, like a little, a little wood grain. I never questioned the reality <laughs> of the problem. More uh, effect. But the thing was that when I got up to preach, I had my jacket button. <laughs> And that lasted about one second. <laughs> and then I just said, I just had to go off. I just said, I'm going completely off script here because I, I didn't know where it was going to show up as sequined. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that wasn't explained to me. <laughs> I didn't know it was, whether it's going to be in the room yeah. or on people's computers at home. I didn't know where. It doesn't look like a sequined shirt. Ryan, that was a little stretch. Well, it was funny <laughs> and it set me up for so talking about that I could still rock a sequencer. Yeah. And, and I, I have never had one on. I wanted sequencer. you to say, I've never doubted that I could rock a sequence shirt. That's what I wanted you to say just now. Oh, I've I, never had a doubt in my mind well, that I could rock a sequence shirt. I've probably never had a doubt in my mind about it. Cause I've probably never thought about it, but I, <laughs> it was just, it just was a great moment. I, and I think it, endeared my endeared me a little bit i also had way piles of, of ladies come up to me <laughs> and, and say after the second hour because i looked at this thing the camera and i said there's one person out there yes and i said it's my wife and i yep. know she's watching and i called her lamb which i call her all the time yes i mean that's i call her that i call all the heirs girls lamb mm. And I always, I have, I can't even remember when I, I mean, started. I mean, it was the most precious thing. We all caught that. Well, thank you. I, it was just me being Tim with Jennifer. I was in those piles of ladies who caught Well, that. I did have so many women. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, I'm, you know, I could have predicted the return of Jesus on a certain date. And the only thing yeah, people heard was. Yeah, over our heads. Yeah, everybody came up and said. It was very sweet. Well, thank you. I, I think we all just want someone who's going to call us lamb, you know? Jed, if you're listening, there's a word I'd love you to just throw out every once in a while. Just call me lamb. Well, I have called on a couple of occasions. I've called uh, younger girls, women, women who are part of our family, but not blood family, lamb. Hmm. And I've, if it's been heard by an heirs, <laughs> <laughs> they would know exactly what you were talking about. But yeah, it's a but little, they, well, they, it's they not were, like honey, you know, I think that's, no, it's not like that. It's a, t it's a tender thing. And there's, there are a couple of younger women who were essentially brought up in under the sphere of my wife from when she was a youth leader and mm. they're just precious parts of our family. But what I was meaning was that the heirs girls are not happy when I call people that are not heirs girls, <laughs> oh. they, they, they get it, but dad's not supposed to spread that kind of love Aww, around, you know, it's like, yeah, it's so it's it's special such a, for them. Right. Cause I've got the, my wife and then my two daughters and then my son's wife and then four granddaughters and they're all lambs and just naturally. Hmm. And so, yeah, no, that's just a part of the, <laughs> and I think it has something to do with the fact that we have such a connection to spring in England Okay. and that lambing season. That's, that's why we always go at the times of the year because the fields are just filled with lambs. And my wife is a painter and she paints sheep and or she sketches sheep. I don't think she's ever painted a sheep. I found a really amazing painting it with a, it's a Fournier by the, uh, and it's here in town. And 
Um, it's at um, Kurt Churchman's gallery, but it was really weathered. And it was of a flock of sheep with lambs. It was just this amazing, huge painting. And he said he'd sell it to me for, and he gave me the price, but it would be a $5,000 cleaning. My goodness. And and I was scratching my head about it. <laughs> like, I cannot justify that. It was like, it would have been the essence of our familyness about oh. you. And it would have, but it's so big, it would have to have been in a, I don't know like that we have any crate or something. No, I mean a wall. I don't oh, know that we have any walls that are house. big enough. Mm. And that day we watched the day that he um, talked to me about it. I watched uh antique road show. Yes. And they had a 40 a on there and they valued it at $60,000. Oh boy. And it was smaller. Mm-hmm. Did that, did that change your opinion at all? Well, yeah, but I still can't justify spending that. Much. The painting was way less than the cleaning, mm-hmm. but still for me to, what <laughs> I haven't hit that lottery thing yet so that I can feel okay about the spending. The fact that you're still talking about it today though, makes me think maybe this is the painting. This is the one that got away. Well, he told me, Kirk Churchman told me that if I did not buy it, he was going to have it cleaned and keep it. And that told me that he thought it was worth having. Uh, Kirk Churchman, if you're out there, if you're listening, do you still possess this painting? I think he still does. I don't know that any, I mean, when you tell somebody that he's going to have to drop $5,000 to clean it, Mm -hmm. that's just. But it would be an excellent retirement gift 28 years from now when you retire. (laughs) (laughs) You said, you know, I just had the most amazing, I went to a funeral today for a a friend who was a swim dad back in the day. His daughters swam with my daughters and there is nothing like swim family because you see each other every day, six days a week at five 30 and you see each other every afternoon, picking your kids up and you see them all weekends at these meets. I mean, it's just grueling. And he, he was a few years older than we are, but his daughters all swam with my daughters and son, they, cause they're all swimmers. And there was a friend at this funeral. We were talking just about life generally. And this guy said to me, I said, how are you doing? And he said, this other swim dad. And he goes, well, I retired four years ago. And I said, well, how's that going? I said, it's not. Mm. He said, it's not everything that I thought was going to happen has not been able to happen. I, I, it's not good. Is that because of the world changing and COVID and all that? Yes. And, um, the first year of his retirement, they had kids move back from somewhere and then move in with them while they had their house built or something. And it was like 10 months of kids and dogs and stuff. And, and I was thinking, why, why do I want to, as long as grace wants me here, I've never been happier mm. and I've never been, I don't think as clear minded about what it is that I do. And, um, the last thing I wanted was to find myself in a situation where my life had narrowed down to where I wasn't really doing much. This guy's a brilliant physician. He was mm. actually, um, 
one of the top officers of a Fortune 500 company as a doctor. Oh, wow. I mean, he's like, he'd gone from traveling the world at high levels to saying he didn't have anything to do. Hmm. I, I don't know that my life would be like that, but I just thought, why would I? As long as, I mean, I've talked enough to the elders and to other yeah. pastors and people to say, I don't, I don't have any retirement. Well, it feels good to us to know that we are not keeping you here against your will. Oh, no. We love you, Tim, and you mean the world to this church. You mean the world to this pastoral team, but we don't want to like keep you from being able to retire, but it does do our hearts good to know that this is where you want to be. This is exactly where I want to be. I I was thinking just this weekend, what if I'd not gotten to preach that particular sermon? Yes. It's like, it's not that that sermon was remarkable or uh, I, I was just a Tim's sermon, but, but, but I had the joy of preparing for it and thinking mm-hmm. about it and praying about it and then sharing it with people. And I had a, a, a lady in her nineties come up to me and said, finally, the Bible has come alive to me. Oh, wow. And I'm like, what? And she wow. goes, yes, I've been coming here. I think she said six weeks and I cannot tell you how can, how can this is, that just changed everything mm. about the Bible. You just made it come alive for me. And I'm like, that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, we're all doing that. That's what we do here, Grace. But where, why would I not? Even the priest today, when I was listening to the homily, I was shocked at how he took a, some Bible scripture and then he went somewhere else with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I mean, it's, I, I get it, but he, his, he was talking about Jesus healing the man who had his, his, he was deaf and he had a speech impediment. And he said, the reason Jesus healed his ears first and then his tongue was because we're supposed to listen more than we talk. Well, I don't know that. <laughs> I, I don't even know why that was important at a funeral other than the, the guy that passed away. Was, he thought he was a good listener, but that. I don't, you know, I don't know. That's where you start. (laughs) Jesus is thinking now, if I heal this guy this way, the world will know, will know that you're supposed to listen to people before (laughs) you talk. I just don't know that that was what God had in mind for that passage in Mark. Yeah. But I, and if I were to get up and preach that people go, Tim, did you take a break this week? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do have, we'll get to your message. I do have kind of one such question with one of the things that came out of your message. I should mention Barry is not here today because Barry is off all week. Uh, His birthday was yesterday, 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 right? So happy birthday, Barry. I hope that you are out in your permaforest enjoying this incredible weather (laughs) we've been having. I'm sure you and the pigs are having a blast. We just want to say happy birthday to Barry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just me and Tim today. It's just, 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 just just us. (laughs) <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we kind of covered what was new with Tim, what's new with me. And we're going to try to keep this to a short podcast because Tim's got to, got to be somewhere to go plan another funeral. funeral yeah. Um, my daughter and I are taking a road trip tomorrow, Tim. Yay. This is what I do with my kids. Now I'm having the most fun of all of the seasons of parenting. This is one of the most challenging because they're older and they're about to be independent adults and they have their own unique struggles, but it's also one of the most pure fun. We, we like, we don't like all of the same music, but we like a good amount of the same music. And even the, the music that my kids are into 
I know that it is a big, big deal for them to say, Hey mom, check out this song. Right. Yeah. And so I better listen to what it is my kid likes about that song, whether or not I, as a musician and an older person think it's right. a good song or not, you right. know, I understand that completely. Completely. That's, yes. Yeah. You have to try to find what they, they appreciate yeah. about this particular artist. So we're going to go see Desi's favorite artist in Detroit. <laughs> Really? I'm so excited. Not about gas prices because it couldn't be. Yeah, worse. I was going to say, yeah. It's, you know, for driving to Detroit right now, it's not wise, but we bought these tickets a long, long time ago. We bought these tickets last year. Am I going to not know who the band is? Yes. <laughs> it's an artist named Mitski. I don't hardly know who this band is. No. I So the Pitchfork Festival in Chicago, it's kind of like Lollapalooza. It's becoming one of the bigger alternative music festivals. I think. No, my, when my daughter was the, an aerial acrobatics person for powder, they played at some big thing like that. Like an she, outdoor festival? Yeah, but I don't think it was that one, but it's like they, I mean, they brought that band in from LA. Yeah. So. Oh, it could have been. So, yeah. so Pitchfork, there was a time when the music was geared toward my generation or maybe my friends. You're right. Not the case anymore. I'm old now. The people that are going to concerts are the people that are a little bit older than Desi, the people that are right. Jaden's age. So I took a screenshot of this list of who was playing Pitchfork and I sent it to my best friend in Chicago and said, tell me if you can name three Whoa. artists <laughs> on this like four day concert event. We yeah. could, Between the two of us, we could only name four. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Out of touch, Tim. Well, but you know, the, the opportunity now for bands to have a presence are so different than it used to be. And, and with social media, a band can, if they mind just the right group of people, if those people are, are big fans, they can reach thousands of people in a way that would never would have happened when. Right. So Mitski didn't get popular because of radio play or no. anything like that. It was TikTok. Right. I was going to say it, it, it would have had nothing to do with their label or anything like yeah. that. So we're going to the show and I'm really just, I'm, I'm like nervously excited. I've taken road trips with Jaden and they're like smooth sailing. Cause he doesn't really say anything. <laughs> <laughs> we just, we just listen to music. We don't have to talk and it's just, we're both happy. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little more apprehensive about the, the length of time we will spend in the car, my daughter and I, and oh, this, this could yeah, be challenging. Be- this She's could be a, tough. I, I had a good conversation with her Sunday. She said that. Oh, I'm glad that she said something about it. I'm, I'm glad she didn't say that creepy old man who preaches. <laughs> the one in the sequin shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, she's a junior. Yes. And my heart just goes out to juniors. Yeah. And I think it's the most important year of your life. And no pressure. Well, they don't know it. They, they find out later yeah. that. I asked her questions like, has her, have her friends all changed since last year? Mm. And has she read anything or is she reading anything that's changing her mind about the world? That wow. kind of question. Did because she respond, Tim? She didn't. I don't know that. Not, not to that question. I think it was more like I stated it in a fact that I read books during my junior year that that's why I've always said, I've probably said on the podcast, the most powerful person in the world is a junior English teacher. Yeah. Junior. Yeah. 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 Didn't and you read like Jack Kerouac or something? I read uh, Anne Rand's Fountainhead on the road yep. by Jack Kerouac, a separate piece. Yes. And, um, 
What else did I read? I read something else. It was equally mind bending. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know that they'd let them read those books anymore in your yeah. junior year of high school, but it just changed my life. Mm. That was really sweet to me. So Desi has this thing where she sneaks backstage while she waits for mom to stop lollygagging in the lobby and talking to everybody. And she comes back to the green room and she plays piano. I know. Well, I was, this is weird. I told Jennifer about this. So it's not, and I told her too, I was coming out through that door back there, that mm -hmm. other door. And mm -hmm. I came out to go back to my car and I looked over at the green room and the light was on. And I said, you know, I bet if I walk in there, Desi will be in there by herself. Yeah. And I came in and there she was. And I didn't want it to be weird yeah. for her. I wanted to respect her in that moment. So I stood off to the side, but I just talked to her for a few minutes, but it was, yeah, I, she, I think if you get her going, she'll talk to you. <laughs> well, I'd, she, she asked if she could style me for this show. That was quite a question. She's like, mom, I had this idea. Oh. Would, would it be okay if we went to, you know, Goodwill and I, <laughs> I could style you for this show? There you go. I'm like, okay. So after church Sunday, after she was done playing piano in the green room, we hit a couple different thrift stores and that's great. I am that's being great. styled by my junior in high school. That's so great. That's what's new with me. I'm excited. That's good new. Yeah. What kind of music is this band play? It reminds me a lot. So, you know, the nineties are back in a huge way. Um, this is a solo female artist. She has a bit of like that angsty nineties vibe. She reminds me of a Fiona Apple or a yeah. Mazzy star or cat power or something like that. Um, so it's funny because I feel like I already lived through the angsty uh, 90s. I get that. Yeah, I get that. As a teenager, sure. I was a teenager in the 90s. <laughs> and so yeah. now I get to relive those angsty times. Well, if it's if it's emulating in some manner that style, then you'll probably enjoy it. And I was like, you mean I get to wear Doc Martens again? I'm in. <laughs> I'm totally in. Yeah, I'm, I haven't stopped. <laughs> I noticed. I I've noticed. been wearing Doc Martens right straight through. <laughs> I bought a pair. Last time I was in England. Well, yours that. are from England. Yours are the real deal. Yeah, I buy mine yeah. in England. But but um, <laughs> I bought a brown pair at the at the Doc Martin store in Chester, which oh, is like the- Oh, my goodness. And so we're in Chester at the Doc Martin store. Oh, my goodness. And the girl there is just really sweet. And, and I think she was a little surprised that this old man was buying a pair of brown Doc Martens. <laughs> And when she got, when I said to her, you know, I've wanted a pair from here for a long time. You have just made my day or my life or something like that. And my wife goes, you really have here. You really have. And, and she just melted. And it was just a, a wonder, because I don't know that anybody had ever told her that their life had been made by the fact that he yes, had finally gotten I finally a brown, got to buy brown, shoes. The, well, I wanted you. a brown pair. Yeah. And I've I wanted, seen you wear them. I know what you're I, talking about. I wore them this Sunday, last, last Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I was wearing the, I have a black pair that I've had forever. And, uh, it was eh, probably, a, I don't know, it was before COVID, but I was walking out and there was a girl, like she was in junior high and she was poking her mom and pointing at me. And I, and her mom goes, you're wearing the shoes that they're, they're loving. Yes. Now. Yeah. So everything fashion is so cyclical, but I, for one, am very glad that the nineties are back. Cause, uh, I, Interestingly, I um, have a friend named Todd Fisher. Do you mm -hmm. know Todd? And he used to, he was a nineties rock person and his two bands that he was in and <clears throat> I had a lot to do with, and they were just quintessential 
Posey-esque 90s music. His bands were, and he just sent me about 10 songs that he's done during the last year. They'd love him. I mean, it's like everything about all of the sensibilities of the 90s. It's like Todd's not changed his sensibilities since then. And (laughs) I was just surprised. I thought, Todd, you you need to give this to somebody (laughs) and have your son pretend that he's the singer. And put it on TikTok. And all the kids will go gaga for it. Well, his son's a bass player. Yeah. So I was thinking, give him the music. <laughs> all right, Tim, we got to get to your sermon because I got to get you out of here. Would you give me, give the listener, give us uh, the big idea of where uh, your sermon was headed this weekend? Well, the sermon was the raising of Lazarus. And it is, um, it's a story that has to, it, it shows us, the power of Christ and the purpose of his coming, which is to give us life into the next, into the ages, as they said. And then there's also, it's a pre, a pre, what's the right word? Um, it, it gives us a clear hint of what's about to happen with Jesus himself. And there are a lot of connections. I did not talk about them. I mentioned one, but didn't say anything about why, but like when Lazarus comes out of his grave he's wrapped in his grave clothes Mm -hmm. and they take them off of him because he will need them again on his or in his earthly life but then when jesus comes out his grave clothes are folded up in the tomb and so he doesn't need them so he doesn't take them with him because he will never need grave clothes and that those kinds of images are through the story um that um the hovering of the spirit over Christ uh-huh. for three days is a different thing than the four days of Lazarus because Lazarus comes back to life through the power of God regenerating him. But Jesus comes back to life with the same spirit which he went in. It's not like the same. It's a, it's a sort of a highly philosophical yeah. thing. You might but- have to break that down a little bit because especially if you did not get to hear the message, I encourage you, it's on YouTube, probably find it on Facebook too. Go back and listen to this message. But what you said about what ancient people believed about the spirit of a person. This is Jewish. Hovering. This is, this yeah, is, this is Jew- uniquely Jewish. Ideology? I've not heard it anywhere else. I've only read it in Jewish thinking. I could be wrong on that, but it's, I. It was remarkable. I had not heard that before. Well, Craig Keener's been talking about it for a long time and, and his references are all strong. I agree with him that that's true. I mean, I looked at the references, Yeah. but they felt that the spirit left the body and and it it would hover and come at the body and try to come back in. Hmm. Hmm. And I don't know where that came from. It might be because there were times when the people would get into these catatonic states and then reawaken. And they probably put more emphasis on that than we do. I wondered that as I was re-listening to your message, you know, nowadays we know about being in a coma right. or something like that, but they wouldn't necessarily no, have wouldn't. known that. No. So they would have had to wait to see if the person was actually, actually dead or just sleeping. Right. And they didn't know about comas or other sorts of, they only knew about awake and asleep. 
Yeah. They also didn't think that you're, when you were asleep, you, it was any different of a mindset. That's why they paid attention to dreams because they felt you were in the same consciousness of some kind of reality while sleeping as you were awake. Hmm. And that's why, and I know people are going to freak out about this, but the reason in the Bible so often that people get messages from angels and dreams is because everybody believed you could get messages from, because they didn't think that there was a, they didn't have this psychoanalysis about dreams. Dreams were just a, another part of life. And so God could, everybody believed that. And so God could speak to people in dreams and they just would listen mm -hmm. as opposed to go, man, did I have a crazy dream? They'd go, God spoke to me in a dream. Mm -hmm. And I think that God used that because that's the way people thought about the world. But with Jesus, he's dead three days. He's not decomposed to where he's unrecognizable. He's his body can be reanimated by the spirit, which was in him, which was the Holy spirit. And I guess I don't know that I don't, I have, I know I'm going to say this and freak some people out, but I can't find in the Bible where we are eternally sold. Like all people, like, I, I don't know that we are. I think there's something possibly about the power of the presence of the Holy spirit, which eternally souls us. Mm -hmm. And that changes like people's, notion about the it, afterlife and, yeah, and all that. And, yeah. I've heard you speak about this once at a ask Tim anything night, which by the way, I feel like we need to put another one of those on the calendar very soon. It is just, it's, it's very mentally stimulating to sit and listen to you talk about stuff like this, the stuff that you think is going to freak everyone out, which you admit this is how I see things. And this is how I think of things. And this is what I yeah. can't find in the Bible, but you're not saying your way is the only way or the right way or whatever, but it really does make, it challenges the way we see and think about things. Maybe even traditions that we assumed were biblical because we'd right. always heard it grown up. For example, okay. my sister, I have an older sister, um, older half sister. One time she was, she was talking to me and she said, you know, like the Bible says, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> and I remember having that moment of like, Ooh, I'm not so sure about it that. doesn't, well, it doesn't really say, do I tell her? Cause it's really going to rock her world. I'm just going to leave it alone. Yeah. That kind of thing. We, we have these, these things that might just come to us through tradition that sometimes when I hear you speak, it shakes those things up. Well, I'm not trying to shake things up. I'm just trying to be honest about it because a lot of times things that we just all assume are what's there. We just assume that that's there, that everybody believes certain things just because that it's there and it's not there mm -hmm. and, or that it's different than what we just assume. We, we have so many, we have so many built in notions about what the words are saying in English that are not part of the original language. And I hate to say something that sounds like if you don't know the original yeah. languages. You don't and speak not, Greek. You're out of luck. I, that's, but it's the job of a pastor to be honest about that stuff. And, yes. and I don't run into very many pastors who find that helpful because it's really a lot of work. And um, it, it's, it is, it can be, it's as much work as you want to make of it. And I say that because there was even uh, a word in your message this weekend when you were talking about, when the Bible is talking about, and you were discussing that Jesus was angry right. when he approached the tomb, I wanted to look up the original 
translation, you mm-hmm. know, the original um, definition of that word that's used there for angry. And I know how to do that on my cell phone and it sure. takes me two seconds. Right. You know, you look up the word and you, actually I look up John 11 and then the verse and then the word interlinear. Right. And the first thing that comes up is Bible hub. And it takes me to a way that I can, I, as a, I would call myself a lay person. I guess I'm a pastor now, You're but pastor. I, I, I now have access to the original Greek word where I did not have that as a high schooler or as right. a kid. I have that in the palm of my hand now. And I find it very, very helpful. Right. That particular word. Um, I forget what it is now. I, did, I knew it five minutes ago. I would have known it, but I've just, um, the place where it means about the snorting of a wild stallion mm-hmm. is in secular Greek. I mean, we get angry from it, but we could also get frustrated. We could get put out. We could get um, all kinds of things yeah. from it. And you have to be really careful what you say when you translate it to say angry, because our notion of angry right. is so different than our notion of frustrated. If I said my son, I came home today and my little boy was just really frustrated. Nobody would assume that he was mad. They might think he was, that he, he was put out that something just wasn't working for him, but they wouldn't think that he, if I said he, when I came home today, he was angry. Then we'd think there was some sort of confrontational thing that was happening. And so they're just different. So was he, was he angry? This is one of the points in your message. Well, I, I said that. Scholars debate this. Yeah, I can tell you what the debate is. There, The debate is he was angry or he was put out that first it could be that nobody recognized what he was a, was capable of doing. That there was all this, he had said what he was about. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life and all this stuff. He said, I'm going to wake your brother up. There were plenty of people there who had a sense that that he or he would have had a sense that they knew what he was going to do, but they just didn't believe in him. And so he was mad that all this work and look where we are. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's one. Another one was he was angry at the state of the world mm-hmm. and that this was happening to these people that he, he loved. And what's the third? Um, he's angry. Oh, those are the main two. Yeah. I thought that I put them in the app notes. You might have. You There's know, the, I, I'm looking yeah. at the the word right now. It says to be moved with anger. Some translations say he was deeply moved right. to admonish sternly. And sometimes because, like you said, these words could have a, a spectrum of meaning. I struggle with which word you know that that's really important that you say that because there's actually a thing in Greek it's called the illegitimate totality transfer and that's where when you look up a Greek word and it has about seven or eight different ways to use it and then you just pick one that works for you and that's called an illegitimate totality the total Mm -hmm. definition transfer into English and so sometimes people will come up with just crazy I said it in the sermon this week that the word Pisteo, which gives us faith and belief, mm-hmm. are two completely different concepts in English. But the translators have to decide whether we're talking about what we think of faith mm-hmm. or what we think of belief. Because in their mind, it's all one thing that we can't possibly put together in our heads because we just can't think like that. It's just not possible for us to, to think in with the two 
there's no singular word that covers both of those concepts. In, right. In, well, and I think we have different definitions, even of the word faith, because I can take a leap of faith, which means, eh, hope mm-hmm. this works out, or I can believe and that, that means I know. Right. But then also, if I tell my child, I have faith in you, you can do this, and I believe in you, you can do this, that means essentially the same thing. Same thing. Yeah, well, that's English is like that. And I don't know. I just think that we have to be careful with the language. Yeah, yeah. All I know about the thing with Jesus was that something had moved him to the point where he was, that the disciples saw it. We don't know that he said anything about it, but- um. John I, remembered Jesus's emotional response and to what was going on. They could tell right. that he was visibly moved. And I wondered, as I studied this a little bit more, you know, the question I had in my head was, why was he angry? What was he angry at? Was he angry at the people? It just seemed like a, even the way that it, it reads, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Not Jesus was moved to compassion and he hugged her and he wiped her tears. No, Jesus no. was angry. And then it says it twice, this word for angry. I think it was, yeah, I think it was, I know what the other one was. He was angry that this had happened to his friend. He was angry. There was, he could have been angry at the anger at, have anger at the state of the world Mm -hmm. that these things happen broadly, that people get sick and die. Then there was his anger about, he could be angry that this is just not fair to these friends of mine, my 30-some-year-old friend who gets sick and mm-hmm. dies. And I, he could be angry that he's having to deal with this massive amount of grief in their particular family. Or he could be angry that nobody was paying attention to that he was actually there and could fix stuff. I don't think it's the latter. I, I wondered if I even needed a reason for him to be angry. Because now we know that anger is one of the five phases of grief. Many people will say it's the second phase of grief. First, first it's denial. And then second is anger. And so for me, it showed his humanity. Right. Because I we that, see yeah. him. Right. You said he was, we see his emotion. He first says, this will not end in death. Mm-hmm. Is that denial or is that him being the Christ saying, mm, nope, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go raise him up. He right. says, this will not end in death. Then he's angry. Then he weeps. Right. And so you see him like riding that emotional wave that we all ride when we're grieving. Right. And I, I, I said this in the sermon, but I think the most important part about it is that it was so public. Mm. It's near the end of his ministry. He's focusing primarily, if you look at the other gospels, because this one is not uh, chronological, Mm. but this is something that happens on, on the way to the cross and his, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. Anyway, he, oh, it's a public display yeah. in front of tons of people that he's a human being. He's emotional in ways that we have to remember. Rabbis did not express themselves in these ways. They were supposed to hold themselves above all this as they spoke wisdom into people's lives and that sort of thing. And this was not a normal rabbinical response. Is this why he didn't go to Mary and Martha's house? Because that would have been the custom. Go to the house, pay your respects. Is this why he stayed outside and made, I mean, he didn't make them come to him, but he didn't call for Mary. When, when Martha goes to Mary and says the teacher wants to see you, Martha, Mary was still at the house. Right. I think that somebody must have run ahead before he got to them and said that he was on his way. Mm. 
Because Martha runs out to meet to him. To meet him, yeah. And that's her breaking protocol. Yeah. I'm unsure that I'm unsure that he was thinking that about that strategically. Mm-hmm. But it is strategic that he's outside with the crowd. In the public. Public. Right. Eye. Because yeah, because if he'd have gone in the house, houses were small and there would have been they'd have gone in with all the disciples and they would have crowded the space out. And his yeah. emotional response and even his words about where is he and all that stuff. There was so much going on when he talked to Martha about being the resurrection and the life. The reason we have that is because John heard it and he, what couldn't have been the only person that heard it. I, this is something I've been thinking about a lot. There's a, this whole study about the, and I'm probably have mentioned this before, but when we get anybody named in a gospel, it means they're still alive like you get the rich young ruler. We don't have his name because they don't know that you can go find him. But anytime they name anybody who interacts with any of the stories with Jesus and, and in acts, it, it means that you can still go find him and talk to them about whether this is actually what mm-hmm. happened. And because they become eyewitnesses when mm-hmm. they're named. And so the, the reason we don't mm-hmm. get anything from them about what happened to Lazarus when he wrote, Lazarus never speaks and Mary and Martha never speak. They are, they show up again. After this story. Yes. Lazarus was with Jesus when he came in uh, at the Palm Sunday. Mm. It, it's the, they're named, all those people are named because they were there, but they're probably still, though they were, when John wrote it, they were probably in their eighties or nineties, you know, old, because John was old by the time he wrote this gospel and they were still available for comment about it. But if they'd have written down what they said, what they had to say, it would have been probably so over the top with praise for Jesus that it would have been really threatening to the Pharisees or threatening to the Romans or threatening to somebody. And what they didn't want to do is quote them on stuff to put them in a position where they could get into big trouble for what they had been quoted as saying about things. How do you get raised from the dead Hmm. after being dead for four days and not having have something to say that's not going to absolutely threaten everything in the system that exists. And, and that's why I don't think they have, they quote Lazarus. That's why I don't, this is one, this is like the greatest miracle of the, of all the gospels, but it's only in the gospel of John. Hmm. Why didn't the other three talk about it? You know, two of them were there. Hmm. Well, I don't know, Mark, but Peter was there and he, Mark is essentially telling us what Peter had to say, but they don't bring it up probably because they're trying to protect their friend Lazarus, who's still living, who knows where, maybe, I mean, John's writing would have been posted, post a lot of historical stuff, but, but I just think that they were being careful about their friends. So I wondered, because you didn't go into great detail about the eight verses that follow the story of Lazarus, but this is essentially the thing that starts, um, it, it, the Sanhedrin meets right, and they say, uh, actually this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this soon, everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Yep. Why did they think that? Why was this such a threat? Well, to they meant believe in him as a Messiah. If if people that, believe in him as the Messiah, the Romans will come and destroy them? Absolutely. That anybody who comes in the name of the 
and who comes in the in the the name of God in a way that his intentions are to overthrow anyone who's holding any power over the Jews and to set up a new kingdom and to mm-hmm. have God come down and that they're they're thinking about a political military person. And if everybody believed in Jesus, then everybody would have ri- would have been rising up. They didn't have an army, but they had a multitude of people who were ready to do all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they had factions of people who were violent and who killed Roman soldiers. And they had, I mean, they had all kinds of uh, possibilities to create trouble for the Romans. And so they knew that the Romans way of dealing with stuff was to well, if, you know, if, if a religion was causing trouble, they just tear down that religious mm. religion's ability to function. And no, they were thinking of their own power and their prestige. If Jesus was, they, they were not saying he couldn't do these things. That's why they wanted to kill Lazarus. They kill Lazarus, then, then they don't have this man to, mm. he can't come out of the woodwork and start talking about what it was to be dead. Or what it was like to be friends you with Jesus. You can't start giving his testimony. Uh-uh. Yeah. No, let's get rid of them both. Caiaphas's name means the Inquisitor, by the way. <laughs> That's what I mean. Huh. Yeah. Huh. I always thought that was funny. His name means the Inquisitor. So this is the ultimate story pre the cross, cross. of Jesus conquering death. death. Is This is the first time he's shown that he has power over death Publicly in this manner. Yeah, because Jairus' daughter. Yeah, he said she was asleep. Right, right. Yeah. But calling a guy out of the tomb who has been dead four days, dead, dead, for real dead. Yeah. Ultimate show of authority over death. And you said that it's to show us and to show the world that Jesus came to give us life. Right. That he has conquered death. And John in this very provocative gospel is saying, look, you believe this or you don't. Right. Do you believe this? Right. Or do you not believe this? Right. They would have immediately said Jesus was a charlatan, that he was using black magic. That's why he does so many things. Almost all of his miracles were attempted to be copied by the, by black magic, the sorcerers of the day, but he never did any of the, Hocus pocus. Yeah, no boiling blood. Well, or the incantational stuff. Sometimes, and he proves that he can do these things in every imaginable way. He does. He never locks down a system because he needs to be able to say, "You just need to go home because they're healed." Mm-hmm. Or he has he he does uses spit and the stuff that people expect. He he calls out stuff. He commands things. He does all kinds of stuff. And there's no pattern. Yeah. And there's no formula. That's purposeful because magic is formula. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing, I know I got to get you out of here soon, but one thing that struck me at the very top of this uh, chapter, chapter 11, there's this little bit about Mary. In verse two, it says, this is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet. Right. And wiped them with her hair. Right. And so then reading this story about how raising their brother back right. to life would have given them their life back. Right. It puts even more emotion behind right. that story. Yeah. Mary, this particular Mary must have been well known in the early church. 
we have to remember that probably 20 to 25% of all women in Israel at the time or in Judea and Galilee were named Mary or Miriam. And they, there were a whole bunch of them right at the end. And she must've been popular enough that they, he names an event which will happen later so that we know who she is. Yes. And the event must have been so well known that he could just main, name it like that. And now everybody knows who we're talking about. Yeah. And puts that that event that everybody talked about, the Mary that poured perfume on Jesus' feet and washed it with her hair. Oh, she's the sister of the guy he raised from the dead. Yes. Because when we read that story or and we don't, it does not say that that's who she is when we read it mm. later. And if it's a, if it's highly known in the early Christian community, pre writing of the gospels, they would have known that there was some girl named Mary that did that. But John wants to make sure that we get that connection. Yes. So he mentions that he doesn't need to tell us that, but he's making that connection. So when we get to her later doing it, we know why she's feeling the way she feels about Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't think I made that connection until I just read this passage. And somebody else was saying earlier today about your message, about it coming to life. They said, you know, I, I heard it was going to be about Lazarus and okay, I've heard that story a million times, but the word is alive because we see new things mm-hmm. or, or something strikes us in a different way, even for me. And I, I know the story of Lazarus. I was thinking about as a kid, obviously it's like a popular story to learn in church. It's kind of, kind of cool. See this mummy walking out of the grave, you know, but do you remember Carmen? And he had this song in the eighties about like Lazarus. Yeah. I remember come forth. Like that was like in my formative years. Okay. So Uh we've been, we've been talking about this Lazarus thing a long time, but I never made the connection that the same Mary who would pour such an extravagant gift, right. the one that would cause all the the controversy and the scandal. I can't believe she did that. Right. See what she did. Why would she do that? He could have given that money to the poor. Right. That's Lazarus's sister. Right. Her brother had been given back to her, right. brought back from the dead. Why would she not right. it was do a something banquet. so extravagant? It's not a banquet to honor Lazarus. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what it was. They had a banquet to honor Lazarus because wow. he was back. And I just find it interesting that we never get a word from him. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's to protect him. Yeah. The other thing is if he'd have told us what happened, then we would have all assumed that when we all die, exactly what happened to Lazarus was what was going to happen to all of us. And it's better for us to not have some sort of template for post life in the next world. Yes. Because- that's we, what Martha thought he was talking about. Right. And so we don't, uh, we, we don't have this one story. And I, I had a lady come up to me and the first thing she did was ask me if I'd read this, that book about that little boy who died. And Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know what I think about that book. It's fine. I'm not going to make a comment one way or the other. I did read some of it, but the point is that people who read it seem to take it all as this is the, this is what everybody's going to experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm unsure. I'm just unsure. So I don't know. You said not just life in the next world, but life that is full mm-hmm. and wondrous and joyous today. Right. There's so many, and I hate to be this way, but I got to leave in a couple of minutes yeah. to go to that funeral thing. But um, I've read, you know, I was a lit major. And so I, 
I don't know that they read this stuff anymore, but I got to read all the medieval and early enlightenment poetry. And most of it is biblical. Lots and lots and lots of it is biblical, but there were a whole bunch of poems where guys tried to um, figure out what Lazarus would have said. Mm. And I need to find the one that was about how he was just sort of wacky because he was like always getting excited when kids got sick mm. and things like that, because he knew what, what was going to happen. And he was just like, just like sitting around twiddling his thumbs, just waiting for old age to take him because he just had such a, he was looking forward to dying so much. Wow. He was appreciative, you know, he was, I, he was like appreciative of Jesus giving him his life back, but all it did was make him long for death. Yes. And, and I just found that, you know, I would never be sitting around thinking I'm going to write a poem about Lazarus and I'm going to make him act like that. But it just, it's, it could have been, I don't know. I don't know. It reminds me of when my mom was in a coma and you know, eventually she came out of that coma, but when she came out of that coma, she was not necessarily happy. Mm. She found out that she had flatlined and, and she was upset because she could have been in the arms of, of Jesus, Jesus yeah. and we brought her back or right. the doctors brought her back or whatever, but she'd certainly had a purpose and she had more life to live. But that was, that was her statement. Mm. I could have been with Jesus. I, I'm sure that the whole, the household where Lazarus lived after his resurrection, they had a completely different notion about things. Mm -hmm. And that's just comforting to me. That's uh, yeah. encouraging to me. Yeah. And I know that it's, Sometimes hard to see life as being full and wondrous and joyous, but that's what God wants for us. And I, I've actually been experiencing some of that, you know, lately. So it's like, <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, there's so much craziness in the world. There's actual war going on. There's um, financial upheaval and, and all kinds of things. And I think we need to be reminded that even in the turmoil, even in the middle of the craziness, we can have a kind of joy that is abundant and eternal and for right now. I think in times like these, it's easy to, and, 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 and I think we should, we should long for our eternal home to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. There should be a longing, you know, but we can have joy. That is our strength for the here and for the now right. and not just, you know, well, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that yeah, will be. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that, yeah. I think, yeah, that yeah. that's what the story is about. Life in the here and the now is possible by the power of the of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get you out of here, Tim. Uh, next week, um, be sure to come back. Barry is back from his week-long vacation next week, so it'll be good to have him here. And I am personally counting down the days until the return of Tyler Bender. Oh. <laughs> I was looking at my office calendar and I think I've got three more weeks sitting at this uh, driver's seat here in the podcast room. Are you kidding me? Yes. Three more weeks of this <laughs> before I can go back to my normal pod life and not have to press the record button and run the show. So I'm excited to have Tyler come back. Tim, thank you for being here and talking to me. Oh, it's a joy <laughs> to be with you, Mary. Thank you for talking uh, to yeah. us. Uh -huh. And uh, until then, I'm going to send us out. Here we go. Oh, oh, see, Tyler, please come home. I'm just terrible. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, and we will see you on the other side of Sunday. Yep.
now for something completely different.